Blog Talk Radio. entrance uh but i gotta tell you as larry said it best just a little while ago i'm pissed off <laughs> so i figured what i did what and especially from larry goodman you're you're um um you, you, at least on my end, Steve, you were breaking up there, so I don't know if you if if you were insulting me or what you were doing there. No. But um, I'm I'm glad to be <laughs> I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Certainly not insulting. I was just saying that uh, you know I'm I'm definitely um, perturbed. Um, I, I'll I'll just say it like this. You know, this is an episode that's basically happening <clears throat> at the request uh, of a fellow wrestling person who we love and uh, respect a great deal um, about superstar Billy Graham. Now, we're going to have guests on, and we're certainly going to talk wrestling with them as well. But that was the original impetus uh, for this episode. Um, so the thought that some people had that we would not deliberately honor uh, the loss of a uh, Peggy Leathers and the rest of that is, it's so beyond the pale. Uh, I guess I was just very, very thrown off, Larry. Um, of course, you know, rest in peace. And um, I knew who she was. Um, I would not have uh, said that she was, you know, a wrestler of great, great import in my world. However, I was aware of her existence. Yeah, and I got to see her um a fair amount in Georgia, on the Georgia Indies, and I guess I want to say the ooh, early 90s. Um, she she was f- fairly frequently with uh, wrestling Bambi on those shows, um, yeah. and of course, you know she 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 had years in WWF and AWA and Florida, and wrestled for David McLean. I mean, she had a long career. Um, but not that much it was, of it was really in Georgia, right? Even though she's, she's from course, here, yeah. And you know her passing, we we acknowledge it. Certainly, I believe if uh, uh, you know, we might as well get this out of the way. If if somebody of import passes, um, let Larry know. Just message him, and he's happy to say uh, something about it publicly. Uh, but this idea of, you know, that 
Larry or I or anybody else at GWH is next to our own version of ticker tape. <laughs> and, and then we would deliberately go like, nah. <laughs> is, um, I don't even know what to say about that. I just think it's a very bizarre thing to say. I'm not going to say a whole lot more about this, I swear, Larry, but I do think it's interesting that, like, um, it is, GWH has become more, uh, what's the word, accessible than ever. There's more people who sort of contribute to it than ever have before. And uh, Larry, in spite of being very, very busy, um, often in a different state, often with different things going on in his life, uh, I've always been able to sort of contact him when I think that there's something of import to discuss. Or, I, you know, get off my ass and write, off, write about it <laughs> and let him know that I've done so. Um, I, I think Nigel in particular had written something for a different website, which is wonderful. Um, it's exactly the kind of thing that um, could easily be shared with GWH as well. So we invite anybody to do that, of course. Yes, well said. Well said. And we also we should mention that um, Ace Hefter uh, passed away within the last week. Um, he was somebody who managed, most recently he was at uh, uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling and had wrestled in Southern Fried, um, wrestled, managed for Southern Fries before that, and of course had a long career before before even that. So um, our condolences to uh, Ace, Hef- Ace Hefner's family and those who knew him well. Because I, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, you know, the older you get, uh, the more people you lose. Um, that's just life, as uh, Rocky Balboa once said. And so it goes. Um, you know, as I get older and older, <clears throat> I'm, I was always shocked at how, you know, wrestling is a, a fraternity of sorts, right? Um, sort of an in-group thing. And as they pass on and on and on, it's one, of the, it's one of the criticisms that I will not tolerate of Dave Meltzer. Um, in a lot of ways, Dave hasn't done himself a lot of favors. Um, but when he gets lumped in with, quote-unquote, every other dirt sheet guy and seen as no importance, for Dave Meltzer's um, obituaries alone, that is the distinct separation between him and almost everybody else in the wrestling business. Um, if you've never read um, his obituaries book, uh, books actually, multiple, um, you know, wrestlers of a certain age and time, if they're being honest, will say, how important am I? How, am I, how many words am I going to get said about me by uh, Dave Mills? That's a very real thing, right? And um, one of the many things that is interesting about Jesse Bailey and something that I appreciate is when a wrestler of significance passes, um, no matter the era, he will send a group of us the obituary for us to read. And then um, it's one of those things that is just such an impressive, important part of uh, Dave Meltzer's contribution and legacy. You can say that he's tarnished himself and become too close to AEW and giving six star reviews to matches that are only supposed to have five, all the rest of it. But, um, you know, there's an African saying that somebody is never truly gone until they are forgotten. And Dave Meltzer has done as good a job or better than almost anybody at making sure that uh, people never truly uh, disappear in the wrestling business. And it's admirable, and it's something that Larry does 
to an extent as well. So uh, I, anybody who does that kind of thing, it deserves uh, to be praised. And so thank you, Larry, and thank you um, to others as well. Please feel free to use GWH uh, to help keep people alive, as it were. And thanks to Rob Rod, who got the um, an obituary and the, the nice video that Eric Adams did on Peggy Lee. He got that posted up uh, today. Um, I'm, before we bring on in our guests tonight, uh, we have two guests, Chip Schuyler and Todd Sexton. Before we bring Chip uh, on the phone, on the uh, show, I wanted to ask you about uh, Tessa Blanchard, the article you wrote, and did she actually wind up coming to Florida or not? Um, she's coming to Florida on the 3rd. So oh. in in um, three days' time, she'll be in Jacksonville um, uh-huh. wrestling for a, a promotion of import here in Florida, and she's working at Amber Nova. Um, she did wrestle at the last XPW show, which was a show that got a great deal of attention because of a fan interaction <laughs> that may or may not have been at work. It was so well done and so extremely like crazy that people aren't sure if it is a work or not, <laughs> but she was on that show wrestling and apparently had a great match as well. Um, and a rousing welcome of a, you know, that's, that's the part that I find interesting is the general consensus seems to be, um, you know, cool. She's back. Um, which is part of what I was highlighting with my article, which is, I get this feeling that there's a right time to come back and a wrong time to come back. I get the feeling that this time, um, there's some people who will never accept it. I understand that. But I think the general consensus is, okay, you know, this is her time back. And um, she's coming back guns blazing. I'll say this, physically, she looks fantastic. Like her social media is just filled with, you know, pictures of her and, and I think in a very deliberate attempt, um, she looks very happy. Um, she's been spending time in Canada. And so she's been going to, like, schools and reading to kids and, you know, just, I think, just generally learning to sort of love the position that she has as, as somebody of import, um, which is another reason I felt compelled to write that article. Like, we can't sit here and pretend like she wasn't the biggest thing in women's wrestling for a time because she absolutely was um and covid can erase that and all the rest of it so and it's it's mind-boggling for me to think that you know she's still only 27 years old it accomplished all that it's a, it it <laughs> is a baby <laughs> well one of the things that you know one of the things that i wrote about it was she wasn't She's not meant to be a drill sergeant, right? Yeah, she's, yeah, yeah. At, at this stage of the game, she's not meant to be somebody who's training other people. In fact, it's those kind of little throwaway lines I had about trainers and stuff that got the most direct reaction from people that I knew, from strangers and people I did not know um, who, you, you know, wanted to do the more debate on whether she was cancelable still or not the parts that seemed to resonate with people um, were things about, you know, like, was I excusing her behavior? 
I guess I should address that really quickly. I think there's a difference between taking a position of, oh, it's understandable, so it's excusable, as opposed to it's understandable, yet it's still not forgivable, right? Mm-hmm. I, and when I, when I wrote the thing about, um, you know, wrestlers, you got to sort of protect yourself and protect your own and protect the business physically, right? It wasn't about, you know, you, you have to, or else, like, I was very understanding, right? I got that a lot, you know, people are dealing with things in a flash second, whether it's Rose Gold at GIPW, whether it's, you know, Danny Jordan or Dylan at um, Momocon, right? Those are decisions you have to make on the spur of the moment. And if you don't have a structure in place, we see what happens. Um, you know, I was going to write an article on the Momocon thing, but I talked to our good friend, Todd Sexton, who we may be talking to later in this episode, right? Let's hope so. And I, because I had to talk my way through it, right? Because if I write another long article, I think the effect is muted. I, the, the two concerns I had, Larry, were um, um, I didn't want to be part of, a, like, a, a, a camp. I didn't want to make a camp that people would reside in. Am I in the old person's camp so young people aren't going to listen? Um, I didn't want to be in a camp. I wanted to reach an audience, and I also wanted people to hear what I was saying. Um, because, you know, there's a number of people pushing, pulling me, right? You got to slam them. You were right. You have to let them know. And then that was my first instinct. And I went, no, I don't, I, I don't see anything that can be served. But I did want to do something that would facilitate a discussion. So Todd... And I eventually came to the conclusion of, you know, there are things that I think just about everybody could agree on. And those are the parts that we're not talking about, right? Should they have beaten up somebody with mental disabilities because he got involved physically in a match? I don't think that that needs to be debated. <laughs> you don't need to take a side on that. I think, I think, I think it's like, to me, it's, you know, can we not lose sight of the fact that Danny Jordan was physically attacked after this person had gotten involved already and there had been no consequence? That, to me, to me the fact that everybody isn't of the mindset of, yeah, that was not handled well, <laughs> is like we're not starting at the place it's logical. So Todd simply came up with this. Dude, I know you don't really do videos anymore, but you need to do a video just sort of like directly outwardly addressing this. So that's what I'm going to do, Larry. And oh, okay. that video will be done within a, within a day or two. Um, and it's called part of a new series. Can't we all agree that? <laughs> and it's me just rattling off a bunch of points that start with, can't we all agree that to highlight how we're missing the points where we all agree in favor of camping up with the things that we don't agree about as if those are the um, unjumpable hurdles. If we just come together on the stuff that I think just about anybody logical can agree on, we can see places where things could be improved and where we can start having a discussion about how do we handle these situations. Most of the stuff is preventative. And I think that's the ultimate message of GIPW and Momocon. If you look at the things that they have in common, those are all very solvable things. 
um, like having a barrier of some sort, even if it is psychological. Um, like to me, I don't think that that's open for debate. <laughs> this, this idea that you need to have something that clearly designates this is you versus this is us, right? That's a minimal thing that you should have at any event. And, and security being on alert of potential problems and being there as a preventative measure. I don't think that there's anybody who can say, yeah, it made total sense for security to not be standing there after the attack on Dylan at the very least. Um, anybody who would dispute this kind of thing, I don't know what to say about you, but I'm talking to the 98 to 99% of people who can logically say, yeah, if one of the wrestlers gets physically attacked, I don't care from whom, the locker room, at the very least, should be out there in a show of support. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. think that's something that is very obvious, and if we can't even agree on that, then all i got to say is people have tried up to the point uh, where they have rendered themselves obsolete, and yeah. I refuse to accept that I am obsolete. <laughs> so... In any case. Well, I, I, I look forward to the video. I want to say uh, one, one last thing I want to touch on, you, since you mentioned before yes. we bring on uh, Mr. Schuyler, was that XPW thing. If that was a work, boy, that was a hell of a work. Yeah. I mean, I watched it a couple of times. It's like, wow, what's, what the hell? I will say this too. The Momocon thing um, was really hard to peg because of the yeah. sheer strangeness of the whole thing. So I did get more of a story of what happened, why Danny Jordan in particular reacted in the way that she did. Um, but, you know, a lot of that will be addressed in my video. So for okay. people who are wondering, like, it, ha it had to be a work because Danny Blank, it was not a work. However, no. Danny was under the impression that perhaps there was a work going on because of the nature of what had already happened, which, again, is a thing that I think we can all agree on. Stop working the boys in the context of your show <laughs> because we've now seen the consequence. So to put a long story short, Larry, because the nature of how they booked that match into a three-way dance was apparently – a last-minute thing designed to rib them, though they use the language prank because we no longer use the language of pro wrestling people. Okay, fine. But she was under the impression that, oh, okay, we already thought some kind of joke was going on, so when that guy initially attacked, we just thought, oh, this might be a work, which is why she reached out for him. She reached out for him because she realized quickly, too late, oh, my God, this guy is, like, not part yeah. of the show, but he yeah, was already there. Yeah. And so she, she, she came up with actually the rather ingenious solution since, you know, security wasn't there, dot, dot, dot. Um, she came up with the solution of maybe if I raise this guy's hand in victory, he'll be right. happy. So right. she went to raise his hand, and that's when he scooped her up. She, to her credit, immediately went into, instead of panicking, went into let's get ready to take this fall, kind of did it the best that she could. Right. But, you know, at that point, yeah. um, you know, and then Lord Crew, like the, the crew that came to break it up, I think is telling also. You have like a guy who's known predominantly for deathmatch wrestling, Zach Mosley and others. And, again, 
I've said this many times before about everything wrestling related. If there is not a consensus and there is not a vision and there is not a sort of like light for people to follow, then you're allowing all kinds of stuff to happen that isn't good. Um, clearly security wasn't briefed in any way, trained in any way, um, or anything like that. Um, that's the part of sort of the new school mentality that I just can't abide, which is assuming everything will be okay as opposed to preparation. And I think we can all agree, see how it's going to work. <laughs> I think we can all agree <laughs> that you need to at least have a cursory discussion of what happens uh, at the very least, if you're the guy running that show, Zicky Dice, um, and you have no presence during these situations, I think it does not speak well. I think everybody needs to, I'll just put this simply, get off your fucking phone and pay attention, especially when shit's going down. I think we can all agree that that's probably a best practice. So with that said, mm-hmm. Joining us now, the uh, ultraviolet champion of DWA, uh, Mr. Chip Schuyler. Welcome to the Tipping Point. Well, first off, it is the Chip Schuyler, but I appreciate you having me on. Chip, I got to say, so when Larry said we're having you as a guest, I said point me to something. And Larry pointed me to the promo you cut on Nathan Mowry. Larry, do you remember what I said in response as soon as I looked at that thing immediately? Yes, yes, the vibe. What did I? What? Yes, I said oh, it's the it's the vibe. And what I meant by that is it's the vibe of pro wrestling. It felt all parts modern, but it also felt my God. It just felt like this is a guy who gets it. This is a guy who's comfortable speaking, and uh, I was nothing but impressed. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, I, um, I think it's a gift I've had from the very beginning, and I've had a, a, lot, of, a lot of hard work going, uh, especially with the Nightmare Factor and Cody giving me a lot of tips on promos and stuff, because, I mean, I think he's probably one of the best guys on the mic currently um, in wrestling, so I definitely has had a lot of help with that. And, you know, I kind of just uh, turn up the notch a little bit, you know, uh, bring something new to the table, I feel like that, or something that we haven't seen in a long time. So why, why does a nice looking young man like you want to get involved in deathmatch stuff? Well, yeah, I get that question mm. a lot. Um, I've always been a daredevil. I mean, as a kid, I wouldn't even say a daredevil, but I just, I love taking bumps. And I don't know why it gives me an adrenaline rush. And people are like, why do you do this? You know, some people call it stupid. Some people call it not wrestling, whatever you want to call it. Um, But when I was a kid, when I was a kid and I went to a wrestling show or I watched a wrestling show, the one thing that would stick out was that one extreme moment. Same thing when I was recording. I have videos from, you know, old... Uh, you know, when AEW was first starting, or even like, uh, not to mention like Cody doing the flaming table spot a couple of years ago in Atlanta, that was a moment that stuck with me for my entire life. So knowing that I can create those moments for other people, because I'll look back and I'll watch some of my matches and I'll see all the people, you know, filming and, you know, talking, talking about some stuff that happened, especially in December when I had a death match with Tank, people still talking about that. 
Um, so that makes me feel good because I feel like a hardcore moment draws the best pop of the night and the most memorable moment of the night. And knowing that I can do that is, yeah, it's, it's a gift. It's a blessing for sure. Um, and especially with my age, you know, people are like, because as far as I know, I'm the youngest person to ever do a death match. I did the death match with Tank at 18 years old. And, you know, that made me feel good already, you know. So, you know, I'm just, I keep on going, keep on going, strive for more and more um, because I know that I can do it. So, like I said, the death match in December was kind of my, because um, like I said, I've done hardcore stuff before, you know, you know, t- tables, ladders, I've done stuff. Yeah. Uh, let's let's try the death match. Let's try the death. Let's see if I can hang with the boys. You know, let's see it. It was it was a test for myself, and so I passed that test. In my opinion, I, got, I gained a lot of respect and uh, opening to the death match world. And so yeah, I mean, I just it, it's all gone right. It's all gone perfect. You know, and I love it. Yeah, I, something that struck me about you is your overall attitude. I think you know I, I'm I'm a fan of death match. That's not a secret. And it strikes a lot of people as very strange, right? Because I was right. sort of old school as a god. I'm a guy who trains people, la, 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 la. But <laughs> I wrote an article once called Deathmatch Wrestling is the Last Pro Wrestling Left to Us. And what I meant is a lot of what you were talking about. <laughs> when you go to a deathmatch, and, you know, I, I go to the ones where you're literally like your nose is right there, right? <laughs> like old right. school, no peace underground, you know gay agenda show where I'm, I'm getting hit in glasses, literally showering over me. My friend who was with me at the time who hadn't watched wrestling in 30 years was like, I have never felt so scared at a wrestling show. And I go like, I haven't in decades, <laughs> right? Where like, you know, it brought to me the feelings that I had the first time I saw Bruiser Brody plowing over a crowd on the way to the ring um, where yeah, I just went, absolutely. Oh, it feels dangerous and visceral. I think, part of the modern condition of pro wrestling is people are always like, I'm always stunned at the reaction of audiences. Cause even what we call a big pop now really seems to pale in comparison to crowd reactions that happened even during the attitude era, but even before that, right? Big quote unquote, huge reactions are nothing of the sort comparatively, but it's because people are so distracted. And unfortunately it takes a louder noise. Something I do like about hardcore wrestling and deathmatch wrestling is you see people proportionately, very few of them on their phones, unless it is an attempt to capture a moment on video or picture, but you don't see people scanning. They're not, they're not looking at Timu for cheap rings to buy, right? (laughs) Which is not the case at most uh, wrestling shows, most regular wrestling shows. What strikes me is, even when they are taking picture or video of a shocking moment, most of the time the audience doesn't look involved in the moment. And um, clearly you've mastered this idea of my job is for people to talk about me afterwards. And I think, you know, especially at your young age, it's true. And that might ruffle people's feathers. Oh, you're trying to steal the show. There's a place for everything on the car. At the end of the day, you are an individual performer, and your job is, I want people to know who I am, remember what I did, because it not only helps with future bookings, it not only helps the promotion itself, you know what, we got into this shit 
in large part because there's something about us that wanted the attention or else there's a million ways you can get it that have nothing to do with fake fighting in your underwear and getting a gusset plate stuck in you, right? There's a lot of ways to get attention from an audience, but there's something about pro wrestling or deathmatch wrestling or whatever that you found appealing. And I don't think you're, I don't think you're a tourist. I think that's the biggest takeaway I got from you and looking at your stuff. This is not a guy who's, this is not a guy who's using deathmatch for clout. This is a guy who asked for to be tested in deathmatch and continues to sort of walk around that world that you've been given a passport to. Um, and you do it sort of proudly and reverently enough, but with enough of an attitude of, I get it. <laughs> but now that my foot is in the door, I'm also going to kick the bitch in. I think that's something that's why I find a match between you and Nathan interesting. Because the first time I saw him, I wanted to go, oh, God, here's the videographer guy pretending to wrestle. And what shocked me was, like, no, he gets it. His basics were good, and he was smart enough to go, I'm going to do the on-fire spot because <laughs> I want them to remember me. And they booked him again at no peace. And I went, that's your job. And he did his job. Your job is to get booked and then to get booked again. That's job one after be safe and protect the people you're in the ring with and getting booked again nowadays doesn't seem like as much of a big of an accomplishment, but it's just as important as it's ever been. And it's just as difficult as it ever been, no matter what old fucking guys like me say, it's never easy to get booked again. And uh, I have a feeling you're going to get booked again and again and again. I appreciate that. So uh, the chip, Skylar, before we talk about this uh, craziness Saturday in Griffin, I was curious about your experience in the one and only uh, uh, main event uh, taping that, that you were on when you, when you worked that show, which was non-deathmatch. Can you talk us a little bit about your experience on that show? The main event show? What do you mean, the, uh, the frat house party we did? No the, no, the taping that was done in Griffin. Oh, M-E-W, M-E-W, gotcha. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, funny enough, I mean, I, I thought that was my break right there, or at least my first big break was M-E-W, because, you know, it was, it was a fast-rising show, I thought, had a great audience, um, and they just got a, a freaking TV deal, you know? So I was like, this this is legit right here. Um, and what they had me do was come in, and I basically was the owner of M-E-W, and I was like, wow, what a what a great start to, you know, start off. You know, I I'm, I freaking own the company. Absolutely. And they, Scott Armstrong really liked the hardcore stuff, too. Um, you know, he's repped some of the craziest hardcore matches in WWE, and he really enjoyed that. So he, admi we, he admired me for that, and it was a mutual respect. So he actually wanted to create a hardcore title and, you know, have me potentially get that eventually, um, or at least, you know, compete for it. And so, you know, I was super excited, super excited, because, um, like I said, that was my big, first big break, breakthrough, I thought. And, unfortunately, the company went under because freaking exotic youth, man. And speaking of exotic youth, I want to go ahead and make an announcement. My daddy, Simon Sermon, is now purchased Coastal Empire Wrestling, and I am what? the new commissioner. Yes, <laughs> he sure has. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> I want everyone to know that I may not own MEW anymore, but I am now the new commissioner of Coastal Empire Wrestling. So I will see you guys soon in Savannah, Georgia. <laughs> you heard it here oh, first, folks. If, if, if Simon Sermon didn't, wasn't already your daddy, I would volunteer. Um, that, that was so not only so wrestling, it's so wonderful, and it's such a great oh, – dude, like, Larry, how can I – people be like people who would accuse me of, like, hating the new school. How can I hate the new school? It's wrestling, and it's, it's guys like Chip Schuyler who are like, clearly fucking get this shit. And, I mean, any, any accusations that people have, it's like, I learned it from watching you. Like, like oh, that was so wonderful. And that's, a, that's one of those promotions, by the way, that not so quietly does a fantastic job in spite They're of the up. involvement of the exotic youth. Right. Yes. <laughs> They're coming up. Wait, wait, uh, wait, when are we going to see you down there in uh, Coastal Empire? You got you got a date for uh, your? Yeah, yeah. The next one. Uh, what is it? June 29th, I believe. Maybe June. All right. Right. I'm June. Coming up. Coming up soon. I should, I think it wow, might be June wow, 24th. Wow. June 24th. Yeah. I believe. Yeah. Come All up right. So next month, though, I will be there. Speaking of on Simon the, Sermon, by the way, but go ahead, Larry. Yes. What? What? Onto the Splash Bash. Is this a poolside show? Saturday? What? It what's is. the story? Oh it no. Is. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It is. Um, DWA is very new on the map. I believe it's the fastest growing. Well, obviously because I'm the main event, it's the fastest growing promotion in Georgia, where mm. I'm talking it draws. It's, it's drawing 350-plus every single show. And yep. it started off as obviously a little backyard thing, but, you know, they brought me into the spotlight, and here we are drawing hundreds and hundreds of people and, and selling hundreds of tickets and a lot of merchandise and stuff like that. It is a great show. Uh, it's fun for everyone because there's a little bit – it makes it very unique, and it's the most unique promotion in Georgia, I believe, because – it has a little bit of every single type of wrestling style you like. If you like amateur wrestling, yeah. there's going to be amateur wrestling. If you like high-flying luchadors, there's going to be a luchador match. If you like deathmatch wrestling, I most likely will be doing that kind of stuff. So, and there's, you know, there's comedy spots. It's just, it's so unique. It's so fun. Um, if you guys can come down on Saturday, please come because it's, it's the most unique experience. And we have some insane spots planned for Saturday. Um, and I'm excited to uh, whoop Nathan Mowry's ass and prove to him why I'm here and why I am the DWA ultra-violent champion. Uh, I, Chip, I hope you don't get insulted by this, but I think there are similarities between you and Nathan. And, you know, both of you in, in your own lives before wrestling have that sort of daredevil mentality. Like I was looking at a lot of Nathan's like crazy stunts, like standing on a ladder with a car hitting the ladder and all this kind of crazy stuff. And I went, you know, and I said this in the article, deathmatch guys are built different, right? It doesn't mean they can only do deathmatch, but I think even a guy like, let's say, Cruel, who gets mildly insulted at the notion that he's quote-unquote just a deathmatch wrestler, he's not. But you know what the real key is? Everybody who's really great at deathmatch isn't quote-unquote just a deathmatch wrestler. Mm, right. I think and all I, of them I understand the be... yes. 
I personally would be insulted if I was called just a deathmatch wrestler because I am a pro wrestler that does deathmatches because it is a different style. And there are some deathmatches that I understand why people are like, this is not wrestling, but that's why I'm here. I mean, I'm, I'm here to incorporate wrestling into deathmatches. And it's starting to become more popular and frequent. Um, and so I'm, I'm following that trend. Like, what, you see, what you'll see on Saturday will be like nothing you have ever seen before. It, it will be... It will be very promising, and I wouldn't say that if I didn't think it was going to be. Like, you cannot like, you know, Matt Jackson or whatever hooking up, like, jumper cables to his foot and kicking John Moxley and there being a giant explosion. You may not like it, but if you, but you, but if you deem that spot a failure, then you must not have seen that picture and that video reposted five trillion effing times. At sure, the end yeah. of the day, the, the the main thing is, you know, did they get the attention? Did the spot work in context? Um, and I got to say, is, didn't it? <laughs> if I'm yeah. seeing that many versions of it, that's the name of the game is attention. I mean, the, the re- main reason I missed No Peace Underground was, look, I can take clips of anybody's show and put them online. I take the right clip at the right time at No Peace Underground and 100,000 people plus view it. And there's something about Deathmatch that sort of inspires that amongst the community and then it can go viral off of the community itself. But I'm not going to get that. I don't care how good your – I don't care how good your cravat is at a local wrestling show. It's not going to get shared. But if I can put up the right <laughs> clip of, you know, somebody taking even just, I mean, the, one of the most viewed clips I ever had was Randy West taking a face first bump on the stage. Right. Um, and that got her booking. Like she messaged me and go like, thank you. Cause that message of me, like not protecting myself apparently on a face bump um, got her bookings. Um, and of course she protected herself. Of course she knew what she was doing. But it sparked the debate of this spot was so reckless and da 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 da. It wasn't, right? She's a wrestling person doing a apparently dangerous spot. Guys, that's what pro wrestling is, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's what the art is. And just because in deathmatch they tend to do stuff that someone like Jim Cornette would balk at and go like, these guys are marks because they're getting themselves hurt for no money at all and rah 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 rah. You know what, Jim? It's not. It's the same variation of stuff that happened in his day. You know, funny doesn't make money. Well, I recall the Midnight Express doing a comedy spot almost every single match. <laughs> almost every single match, they did some kind of Keystone Copish up, down, and around, and oh, we run into each other, haha. Right? Like everything has it. Anybody who speaks in absolutes is not only a Sith. Oh, God, how geeky. <laughs> but they're also wrong. Anybody who does an all-or-nothing gambit with what they're saying about wrestling or deathmatch or performance in general, um, you're probably going to be wrong. And the people who understand the nuance and people who understand how to garner attention in the modern way, I think that's something else that makes old people very uncomfortable. It is not the same as it used to be, and it never will. But all those guys like Bobby Heenan and whatever – Part of the reason they gushed blood and gushed it very well is they wanted the cover of a magazine. <laughs> and anyone who wants yeah. to tell me differently, you're lying. Okay? And there's a time where we all idolize and lionize Memphis wrestling, 
Um, there was a time where it was called Bat Tessie Bullshit. Am I wrong, Larry? <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> and you know who participated in that Tennessee Bullshit? Jim Cornette. So, <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, whether it's somebody pretending to eat dog food or shaving their wife's head and all this other stuff that is, quote, unquote, not pro wrestling, it's the most pro wrestling shit of all. Because at the end of the day, it comes from the carnival. And, uh, you know, anything that, like deathmatch wrestling that's in the rat geek tradition, I'm all about it. I'm all about it. So, Mr. Schuyler, before we let you go, any closing words, closing things you want to let us know about? I don't think so, man. I mean, I think I'm glad I'm finally getting the attention I deserve. I feel like I do bring something new to the table, especially with my age. I'm one of the fastest rising stars in Georgia. I haven't even been doing this for a full year, and look where I'm at already. I mean, yeah. can I just say that by itself, you know? I mean, I feel yeah. like that's a pretty strong statement by itself. I believe I am the best heel in Georgia. I believe I am the oh. best worker in Georgia. I believe I am the man in Georgia. And like I said in my promo the other day, I am the main event. Thank you, sir. I fucking love it. <laughs> I love it, man. Mm. Thank you so much for coming on, Chip. He's gone. Well, that was fun. Yes. Um, So here's something that Chip did that I think other people need to pay attention to. He got the main points across. And I know this sounds like I'm being patronizing. I I honestly don't mean to be. He got his main points across. He kind of came in on fire, and then he left clean. That's the impression that you always want to leave. You don't want this awkward thing of if, 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 if an interview with Larry and I ends like this, and I think all, all of us can be accused of this, right? Um, yeah, yeah, okay, guys. Uh, thanks, thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah, great. Cool, yeah. Um, is that the last impression you want to leave, or do you want to go – I'm the youngest, I'm the best, I'm the greatest. Come see me. Bam. That's what you want to leave with. It's it's all wrestling and it's all sales, right? Always be closing. And that guy introduced himself, this guy, that guy that used to be, that that vacuum cleaner salesman named Chip Schuyler talked his way into my house. He had sex with my wife. He ate the um, last piece of birthday cake out of my refrigerator. He um, sold my wife the most expensive Kirby that he had, and then he left um, before I found out that she was pregnant. So (laughs) that's how you do it. That's how it's done. And that kid is 18 or 19 years old. So there is not only hope, I think there's a really bright future in this. Um, but, of course, it's other guys who cut unbelievable promos, had unbelievable moments, and broke barriers uh, that set the way for that. And I think that that is a good segue to our next guest and what we're going to talk about. Yeah, let's bring him on. Friend of the show. Been on here a number of times and got plenty to talk about, I'm sure. Todd Sexton, welcome back to The Tipping Point. 
Fuck you, Steve. My cravat is in fucking point. It get a billion views. <laughs> fucking cravat. And fuck that guy's show. Come, we all watch some women wrestle this Saturday. Um, but, mm. you guys, um, uh, yes, on a number of times. Um, a good number of times. So, yeah, nothing much going on. I'm just exhausted. I'll tell you that much. So, so have any have any of the other women in the tournament been attacked, or is everybody still okay? The other the other I, six are okay. Fan, I, I, everybody wants a women's show. I fucking put a women's show on, and then the fans revolt and try to beat up all my women. Jesus. Ridiculous. Mm. Everybody was so wondering t- how I got eight women in Georgia for the tournament, and then they're trying to take them all out. It's going to be a one-on-one match show at this point, at this rate. Todd, let's talk about the challenge of putting on a women's show. A number of promotions have tried to do it in the past. Um, and some of them found out that it was a nigh-impossible task and morphed it into something else, like PCW. Um, some we really never heard from again, like Big Wood. Um, what was the impetus to do this show, and um, what are you expecting to happen um, this weekend with that show? Um, well, if you go back, Charles did uh, the Bells of the Brawl show, which was uh, Friday night before Shindig, five years ago, I want to say, um, and Charles passed. Um, I had no way to get in touch with these women. At the time, I'm a, um, I did not know the contact info, what the rate was, what they were being paid, and then – a bunch of them started dropping out leading up to it. I I, I remember Kara Hogan because she was at the time working for Impact, and they did an Impact taping. I know we lost two women on that. Um, my top baby face on the show got pregnant, so she could not uh, perform. So it became – and then day of the show, I had women hitting me up, one in particular. Um, you know, She was getting paid a good rate, and then she asked me about trans, and I was like, aren't you coming from Atlanta? you know and then another one came like well charles promised me i could go over and i'm just like well you are going over but i don't need to i mean come on it was just a massive headache and but we got through it. it it was it was moderate success and you ask what the impetus was it was um yeah I got uh, the. Uh, I started thinking about it. We did a tag team match, which had Cat, Cat Spencer, and Crystal against Brooklyn and Jazzy. And I was like, wait a minute, there's something here. Crowd was into it, and I was like, and here's four women I have faith in and trust and stuff, and that had a you know good work ethic and stuff. Yeah. And um, and then it was honestly at the awards sitting there at the award thing and, and watching, you know, the women's award and, you know, Crystal won, which was, I was, I was thrilled with, thrilled with. I was so happy because, you know, she's been doing this over 20 years. And, but I was thinking, it's like, there should be a bigger platform for this. You know, I mean, uh, women's titles have started and stopped at different places and stuff. Right. And I just got to thinking and I, and I toyed the idea around, a little bit, and it took me a while before I said it out loud to certain people to get it rolling. And there was a sense of excitement, you know, from the women and from the fans and from Manders 
and um, you know, so it, it really kind of um, kind of really taking shape and stuff. And then the uh, the gimmick we did um, at the last show to introduce the one we did sort of an all Japan style ceremony, for lack of a better term, and it, and the crowd yeah. was really into it. I mean, they were respectful for everything, you know, and they, you know, they responded really well to where it really gave me a lot more confidence going into this. And uh, right now, all the indicators are pointing to a uh, very positive house uh, for this uh, for this Saturday. Um, and um, what I what in theory I'd like to lead to on it, you know, because we've we've all seen all the different women's championships books in different promotions, whether it be Impact, AEW Now, even Ring of Honor, and, of course, WWE. And you can learn from mistakes and learn from positive things. And, and it'd be nice to have some storylines with the women and also maybe do quarterly women's shows where we highlight the women uh, is an idea I have. But, you know, get through this one first before we uh, – Get too excited? Is somebody coming to Larry's house to finally get him? What is going on with those sirens? Not, <laughs> not I. I don't know where that is <laughs> coming from. Is that you, Steve? <laughs> Always. Um, see, I say Steve would be the more likely one, but I didn't want yeah, to throw him that's on the right. spot. So I, you that's know. right. That's right. Um, Absolutely. Say that. <laughs> so so I got. I got to be devil's advocate here. Yes. Go for it. Are there enough? I wonder, are there enough women wrestlers in Georgia to support not just your group, but other groups now wanting to do, you know, women's titles? Or, you and know, that's is, the question. Is, okay. It's a very good, you know, it is a good question. It's something to see. I mean, I mean, at one point, I think Anarchy did well with the women's championship uh, about four years ago. And it seems like it, it seems like we get, and you guys have been around long enough to notice this, we get like a glutton of women wrestlers, right? It seems like we get a few, you know, get some good ones, some established ones, some good characters, and then it kind of dries up. It almost goes in cycles, it, it seemed to me. Um, and if we can get something to where we can um, establish a, a base, I mean, I know, um, and get some women that are, uh, you know, good and credible and respectable and work hard, you know, maybe we we can, but it is, it is a gamble. I, I believe it was the last time I was on the show where we um, – it was mostly me and Steve talking, and he talked about taking risks. Well, this is a risk, you know, uh, putting something like this on. And I, 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 right now, I'm happy with it. So, I mean, and to be to be full full, full disclosure, there you go, Steve. Um, the women have been great to deal okay. with. Um, you know, it's been it's been a positive experience of you know, leading up to this Saturday. Well, that's a, that's a definitely that's refreshing compared to the experiences I've heard. Well, what you described from years ago and what others have told me since trying to to uh, book women, it hasn't exactly been fun. Yeah, it can be it can be a difficult process because of, hey, if a woman cancels, then you got to find another one short notice. That's difficult. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's not like you know where you have hey sitting in your locker room, you have guys that just come by to hang out or hoping for a spot. You can get them, give them the opportunity with women doing that. It's a different, it's a different animal. And they're, they're a different kind of uh, commodity. It used to be, they were seen as a novelty and now yeah. they're, pro- I mean, and Oh God, I'm going to get people mad. 
um, women, women are going to tend to get paid much more than your average guy on the show now. And that is definitely a difference from back in the day, right? Back in the day, it's like you're lucky to get the booking and then you're lucky to get paid whatever. And then if Mula and whoever isn't taking a piece, I mean, it was an arduous thing when we're talking about the origins with like Billy Wolf and all the rest of this, right? Now we're in a thing where, I mean, my favorite roast joke at a PCW show, one of them was, you know, how is Pandora's like a fine wine? Why? Because she's very expensive and she's full of alcohol. And it was like, (laughs) but, and I mean, she was commanding, I don't mind saying it. She was commanding a price of minimum 150 at a time where people were getting paid 30. Right. So, but, but she was right. Like, no, this is, this is my time. And if you want me on your show, because women, women who are like trained, tough, ready to go and get the wrestling thing were few and far between. And like Todd said, there are times where we've had more, um, and there's times where we've had less. I don't know if we've ever had a glut. I would describe a glut as, can you pull off a credible 16 per 16 woman tournament? I don't think we've ever been there. Um, and no, so you're probably this, right. it is a major, a major undertaking. And um, to have eight. So Todd, I'm going to ask you a hard question. What, what would you deem a success as far as attendance goes in light of your average Southern Fried show? Um, are you looking for that kind of number? Will you be happy with less um, in light of Shindig coming up, et cetera, et cetera? What would you consider? What would, what would be a number? I know we're loath to do that, but what's the number you would be happy with? I'd be happy with our average crowd, uh, I, but, I, but I want more. Our average crowd, you know, 250, give or take, 275, something like that. Average crowd, then cool, great. I want more. I, I yeah. really and I and I'd be I'd be con, I wouldn't say happy I'd be content, but I would be you know but I really want more I want it more just for us I want it more for the women too and to show that women can in the right circumstances you know draw a positive you know draw a house and you know and, and along those lines I think you definitely have a better shot by splitting it to two Saturdays than running back to back nights. Yeah, that was a – it just came across because of the NWA tapings, but I'm honestly very happy that I decided to make that decision. Mm-hmm. It gives me a mm-hmm. little bit of breathing room um, to uh, – it was definitely – on the, you know, excuse me for the outside smoking. There's a plane running over. Um, you know, I, there's a nostalgia and, you know, some – romanticism of the two nights at uh, Hardcore Hell from Wildside yeah. that I broke in at. you know. So I'm like at the ground level on those. I was on those first shows they did them. So to do that sounded like – sounded cool. You know, it sounded fun to do that. And then once we got – and I was like, you know what? I'm glad I'm not doing that because, like I said, you know, uh, Kelly even said it earlier. She goes, I hope you're on the phone too long. I was like, I told you this is the two weeks where I'm going to be – you know, on the phone, doing this, that, and the other, and constantly communicating. Oh. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, you've got a your crowd is is trained, so to speak, for Saturday nights. Yeah, I don't, I you know, no matter what you put on a Friday night back to back, I think it could have been a tougher, tougher yeah, thing. Yeah, and you're probably right. You know, I mean, you, you think about you know people getting off work and that kind of thing, and not conditioned to do so. Not like a PCW does the Fridays. 
uh, yeah. back when NCW yeah. was the Friday. They they know that there's Friday wrestling going on. To do something different, yeah. it may have been a, a, a tougher deal, especially since Monroe's not exactly a metropolis, and a lot of people come to the show are coming from outside the city. So mm-hmm. Friday traffic, as we know, sucks. So it could be, you know, so that that takes that anxiety out of the equation. Yeah, for so, sure. Let's talk about Shindig a little bit. The tenth year, Southern Fried reaches the ten year mark. That's pretty Sir. crazy. And what's funny? Hold, on, I'm sorry, guys. I came out to smoke a cigarette. There's fucking Cobra and GI Joe going over my head here. Um, <laughs> um, it's funny because, uh, um, and, and it's funny because me and Steve. Um, and full disclosure, me and Steve had a long conversation the other day about various topics. Um, but uh, there's the anniversary of, like, the 10-year anniversary of Anarchy was recently. And, like, Bill posted stuff off that, and um, I was the one who pushed for a 10 anniversary show. It's where we did the big elimination match on top with Anarchy versus uh, uh, PCW when we were getting that angle going. And I thought it was so cool that we could claim 10 years. You know, I mean, what a great yeah. thing, you know, for an independent promotion to be able to go 10 years. And, you know, I haven't been here for the full 10 years. I've, I think six years I've been here for uh, Southern Fried and stuff. But it, it's cool to see that it made it 10 years, and that is quite – it's a pretty cool accomplishment. And once again, something me and Steve talked about, sometimes it's hard to stop and take it all in because you're going, you're going, you're going. Like as soon as the women's show's done, i got to worry about Shindig the next week. And right. along with Southern Honor. So, I mean, it's so, but it's, it's, it hasn't really got me that. It's 10 years. That's, we're still at 10 years at a good point. That's pretty cool. And I think, too, I mean, Charles would be thrilled with where, with where Southern Fried is at from what, what's, what all that transpired since he passed. Um, yeah, I've got to think he'd been, he'd have been surprised uh, in a very positive way over the success we've had uh, since his passing and stuff. He obviously made the right decision with David Manders. Manders yeah. is the dragon lady to my giant Baba, where I'm a... <laughs> <laughs> For those who don't know, Google it. Even Larry get it, so that's all that matters. Um, so, I mean, and it's, 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 it's worked out well. Because I was nervous when... The, when Charles was selling it. I didn't know if I wanted to continue and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, me – David reached out to me. Let's go out to dinner. And I was like – me and Kelly were both like, okay, he's taking it seriously. He's not just grabbing this and go, all right, here we go. He wants to, you know, get in the nuts and bolts of things and stuff. And, you know, and it's it done a great job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Shindig reaching uh, – I'm such a big believer in, like – the ultimate show for a league, right? Um, and mm-hmm. Shindig is one of those. I think you go Shindig, you go Hardcore Hell, um, you're going, you know, and, and most promotions you would go whatever their anniversary show is, right? Um, but Shindig, uh, I think Charles would be proud. You know, that's a cliche, and, and it's like, oh, he would have been proud. No, because, I mean, I was pretty – he and I discussed a lot behind the scenes, which people would mm. be shocked to know. Um, oh, yeah, because you And one of the things he wanted – right, all right. And, yeah. um, you know, and you can communicate with me and still hate me, and I think that would include anybody on this uh, phone call. 
So like <laughs> he, what he wanted was he wanted to get away from the Southern fried, which was fat guys hitting each other with garbage cans. It when grew. It did. It, <laughs> it did well uh, in its own right. But he wanted, I mean, he went extremely the other way. Remember that, like, tournament with the AIWF, whatever the fuck title? And yeah. It was, like, it was like a wrestler's wrestler thing, and, like, Fred Yehi won it. I mean, nothing says, I love Matt wrestling like I'm a mark for Fred Yehi, right? And, yeah. But it didn't draw. And I think the audience felt betrayed. And, you know, he wanted to, to do other towns and all this stuff, and it didn't work. And I think what Manders and Todd have rightfully done and smartly done was build that audience and set their expectations up of, you know what, you're going to see great angles and great Southern style wrestling, but you're also going to just see great wrestling and you're going to learn to appreciate it. And, and they're not going to go for the easy thing. I think that's why Southern Fried often, uh, why do I have to bring these things up? But I think they get screwed in the awards. And a lot of the reason they get screwed in the awards is they don't make noise for the sake of making noise. And awards and elections are popularity contests as much as anything. And I think anarchy in their own way kind of does that they're in the same circle as Southern Fried, but they're, for whatever reason, they get sort of attention and love in a different way. But I have a feeling that this is the year that Southern Fried, if I may be so bold, I think it goes right now, IWE, then Southern Fried, then Southern Honor. With Southern Honor, maybe fourth. That's a testament to Todd that he's able to keep Southern Honor relevant and make Southern Fried great. Um, Todd is the guy who is at the center of all this stuff. And I, I would not have thought that that would have been the case years and years ago when Todd and I are having breakfast together in, in a Hampton Inn <laughs> after a sacred ground, right? Like, that, that's a crazy, like, that's one of those crazy conversations that people would not believe took place, that absolutely took place. And, like, to see Todd as he is like on the current Georgia Mount Rushmore. Right. Well, thank you. And yeah, I mean, the truth is the truth. And Todd is um, the fact that he, but the the fact that you have a gunslinger's instinct, I, I almost thought that you were doing this women's tournament and correct me if I'm wrong, only because there's assholes like me saying, like, ah, you can't do that kind of thing. And so it's just like, well, fuck you. I'll show you that I can. In the same way that other groups have put on, like, Battle Bowl-style, like, shows because they, they heard that I hated them, right? So it's like, well, I'm going to show Steve. I think you, that's when you start getting old is when you lose that instinct of I can show. I, I, screw it. I'm going to take a chance and show you that it can be done. I love that. Like, you People should always keep that kind of fire, you know? Yeah, and I'll be honest with you. It's funny you said that, and, and I can mention this off air or because I don't want to spoil it right now, but I got a match coming up, coming out of Shindig in the next, uh, next month or so that is going to be a big risk. And, but fuck it. Let's see what happens. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, doing the women's thing, it's a big risk. I got a big angle coming out of Shindig uh, going in the summer. That's a big risk, but... Like you said, if you get bored, then there's no fucking point in doing it, right? 
Right. I mean, right. I, I can I can make my money and stuff, but if I don't have that, if I don't have my routine after a show, I get home. It's you know, if I'm lucky, it's before midnight. If not, it's about midnight. Take a shower, and I'm up till like three o'clock in the morning because I'm buzzed. You know, right? It, 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 I'm drinking a few beers to try to bring it down, and but just I'm in the afterglow, and that's if I go to sleep before two o'clock, then it, it was obviously not a good show. It was not <laughs> because I'm up, and then I start messaging people. I'm like, oh my, you know, da da. You just said you're so great in this. Oh, you know, da 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 da. You know, and if if I lose that, then it's time to stop. And a couple of times. You know, I've tried to walk away. Obviously, that hasn't happened. Um, and, you know, you come back in, you you know, you, you fall in love with it all over again. You, a certain a talent makes you, like, get excited about um, and about doing stuff. A certain storyline gets you excited about doing stuff, you know. I mean, it's – Yeah. You know, it can be a thing of beauty and a thing of, you know, there's the, the shit side we deal with when dealing with certain talents at times. But there's also the great side of it, you know. Um, I just got a text of interest, if I could, Larry. Please. So I got a text that says this. I won't say who it's from because I don't want him to get in trouble. Um, Zicky said they did not clue in security on spots. Had they been clued in, they would have known it wasn't part of the show and would have acted quicker. I like that that is seen as a defense. <laughs> instead of a problem. Um, and this is, of course, in reference to Momocon. It was sort of yeah. Vicky's way of trying to cover for security, that they didn't know that it wasn't a spot. I, I think, you know, a lot of this is growing pains and people figuring stuff out. But it's important to note that not everybody's going through growing pains. I think when you have Todd Sexton involved in your show, um, what you get is, experience and in the real positive sense of that word he's not the 17 year guy that's just sitting back in his chair going oh my god I worked this match with Sammy Guevara like he's the guy who's going like okay all right we 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 need to make sure these things are put in place I think it's part of the great legacy I, I always see oh god I hope Todd doesn't get mad at this but oh well I started speaking I, I think Todd honors Bill Barron's and the relationship that they had and probably still continue to have. But I think Todd is one of those guys who got to work with Bill and took the absolute best parts of Bill Barron's competency, making things sure things are handled very well. It's not that he doesn't get emotional, but outwardly Todd deals with things in the most, most forthright, intelligent manner. All of these are great legacies of Bill Barron's, but there are differences too. I always said that Bill saw wrestling more as a science and I saw it purely as art and the truth is somewhere in between. I think Todd understands that and epitomizes that. Um, he has sort of an artist's instinct with, with the scientist's diligence. And I think yeah, and that that's a perfect combination. That's a, probably a great way to describe it because, you know, like you, we're in-ring performers, so we see it as an art form. Bill was never an in-ring performer per se. He's done his spots here and there. But, you know, the way Bill deals with certain situations, I've learned from. You know, I learned, and, I, you know, Bill is incredibly influential on me. Uh, but so is uh, Rudy Boy Gonzalez, Terry Taylor, Rick. And I try to take influence from 
other people. You two, Dylan. I mean, there's so many people I, uh, you know, talk to, even guys that are my peers, you know, you, Jimmy, um, you, you try to learn yeah. from everybody. Because if you stop learning, like you said, you, you said you stop, you know, trying new things. If you stop learning too, you're fucked. Is I always yeah, say totally. if you're not willing to, not willing to adapt and change yourself. It's a, look at fucking Judas. And yes, I'm biased, but I mean, look at you know, he changes his look. He looks those fucking dreads, and it fucking plays. You know, I mean, guys that try to change their work and work and just try to get better. I mean, it just. That's what gets me going, too, is seeing guys want, getting excited about doing new stuff and everything. But, yeah, you know, you try to have that, you know, Zicky made that comment in about, or, you know, the security didn't know the spots. Okay. I mean, and like you said, experience, my security comes to me every show and asks, hey, are there anything we should know? And yeah. granted, these are one and dones, so you can't really have the same connection with the mm. security that you do otherwise, I guess. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not a one-and-done guy, so – and I know it wasn't one. It was a couple of shows, but you know, and I'm not using that as a defense or I'm not shitting on anybody or defending anybody, but I, I know with my security team, they know if something's going to happen um, otherwise, and they know when something's wrong too. Right. You need an adult in the room. And I think if the, if the new school and the new mentality can learn anything, especially if you're a show run by the boys, you know, I always crap on shows run by the boys, but the truth is that's how a ton of wrestling shows start and that's how they remain. So, but the one thing you got to know is once you're office, it's a difference in mentality. Not that you can't be friends with the wrestlers or something has to change in that regard, but what it does mean is ultimately the buck stops with you if you're in charge of that show and it's you. And when something goes wrong, it is your responsibility um, to make sure it doesn't fucking happen again. And the fact that the voices up top, that's the stuff that's bothered me more than anything. It's the people who are in charge with GIPW who are interested in having a semantic debate on what should have been done instead of going, I, what I, here's what I didn't hear from Zicky and what I didn't hear from Don Kester. I'm sorry. There are clearly things that went wrong, and we're going to do our best to make sure they don't happen again. And I own up to my part of it. If you can't say that, get the fuck out. <laughs> and, yeah, there's consequences, you know, and you've got to accept the consequences. You've got to accept the fact that something yeah, happened on yeah. your watch, and it did not go well. And you apologize to who needs to be apologized. And you do your best to make sure it doesn't happen again. If you dwell on it too long, then that's on you. I remember it was literally like a year ago. I was on here uh, plugging my retirement, which I still we're a year in, and I have not wrestled. Just pointing that out, despite everybody, <laughs> several people trying to talk me into it. Um, but uh, you know, Tim was on here after the incident with Joe. And yeah. he kept going back over and over again, over and over again. And I almost wanted to say when I came on, you made your statement. It's all right. Now you move yeah. on. You make sure it doesn't happen again. You don't have to – you don't. You know, it didn't kill his business, which I know was his, probably his fear at the time because their, their houses yeah. were getting big and stuff. But it was like it happened. It sucked. You apologize for it. You make sure it doesn't happen. You do your best to make sure it doesn't happen again. You move on. You don't have to beat yourself up over it and keep defending yourself. You just make – you know. And um, and that that's just the case. 
You know, I mean, there's going to be another it's, show. It's, it's that middle ground, right? Everything is usually in the margins and, and you don't have to be overly apologetic, but you also have to accept the gravity of the situation. Again, exactly. if Danny got crippled, this conversation is completely different. Much right. Different. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I mean, I understand the Simon Sermon instinct of for those that are like saying I would have beat up basically the guy with mental disabilities, you're a bad person. And I get where he's coming from. He's not entirely wrong, but at the same time, wrestlers will be wrestlers. And you know, the, the clout chasing is it's a modern term, but it's an ancient <laughs> thing. Yeah. There's always been clout chasing. And, you know, when AJ Styles makes it, you know what I know I'm going to see? Everybody with their picture with AJ Styles. Like, yeah. that's a natural part of any kind of performative thing. But How many, but how many, is, how many people posted pictures with uh, Carly a couple weeks ago? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. It's, you know, it's and natural, it's, and it's yeah, great, it's, and it's yeah. wonderful. And Carly, you know, chiming in on the Danny thing, on, on one of the things that had about my article where he just went, well, they handled it as good as they could. You know what? That's what he's supposed to say. But my thing is, no, where were you when your girl got crushed, right? Mm-hmm. Like, at the end of the day, I think we need to come up with a set of protocols that make sense instead of engaging in, you're pussies, you don't understand. Like well, those, both yeah, of those camps but, are not entirely right. You know, but, 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 you know what I'm saying? You know, and what I feel about, I know that I haven't, I have not watched Vicky's uh, reaction, so I can't really comment on that. But my whole thing is, is not necessarily how the guy was treated post incident. It was, it shouldn't have happened. You already had no. one incident and there was enough time for him to get in the ring, him and Danny to have a moment and then lead to the incident. That, that's what I don't understand. Is being, you know, having that prevented. And, and hey, full disclosure, three times, Steve. You got to do a video apparently. Mm-hmm. Three times. Um, I work with adults with disabilities, so I understand mm. the situation. You know, and you, you know, you don't have to go in there and tackle the guy. You just got to get in there, like, whoa, you know, create some separation. Danny doesn't need to get hurt and confront this guy who's three times her size, not knowing what's yeah. going on. I yeah. mean, there was the, that. That's what bugs me is that it, that period from there where something should have happened. And when I mean that something should have happened, I don't mean the guy should have been beat up or taken out, but I mean people should have gotten in the way and going, "Hey, hey, buddy, you know, calm the situation down and stuff." You know, but, uh, I, I, I could. And this isn't. It still should have been handled better. Period. But I, I could be wrong. But I'm thinking the security that he had may not have been people that had done wrestling security before. I would imagine it was more security that was either "Hey, brother," or, um, or maybe security for the event itself. That's what I think. That they had general yeah. security, but not wrestling security. There are people and that's that a totally different animal. Security. And yeah, that's a, and they and, and they totally didn't. I clearly. I mean, you know, people might try to dispute this later. Clearly, there wasn't a point person. Clearly, the right people weren't informed, and if they were informed, they did not act in a forthright manner because they weren't prepared for negative. The vibe, the whole vibe of that thing, I mean, when you watch that guy attack Dylan and later get in the ring with Danny, nobody in the audience seems particularly surprised or outraged, which means the vibe of the show is, yay, I'm all for yay, but I'm also for you're the audience we're the performers. And if we're too comfortable 
with there being literally and figuratively no barrier, what you're going to get is the worst of everything. Um, a, you know, AWE, the Southern States, I mean, they've had incidents where you're, if you're going to let the crowd be right up against the ring, guess what? You're going to get, eventually get audience members who grab wrestlers' feet and put them on ropes and ruin spots. Like, we all know my general philosophy is fuck the fan. But, <laughs> oh, fuck them. But I, I, and you I, wonder I why PCW respect... didn't draw. <laughs> well, except when we drew a thousand, right? Except when you did that, yes. <laughs> except where I made so much money WrestleMania week that, you know, like Masquerade was like, God, we got to get out of this deal because we just had to hand this guy thousands. Like, like <laughs> the, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, that audience, by the way, became like the foundation of Georgia wrestling. And I think there's a very good reason why, because what they saw was repeated lessons of, you're there, we're here. If you want to come here, you have to become one of us. And I think Matt yeah. Hankins did that. I think Grandpa did that. They understood that there was um, a guarded door that they had to go through, that they couldn't just skirt the issue. And if wrestlers are going to become promoters, that's another door that you have to get through. And the price is competency and being the adult in the room. And I think we're seeing a lot of cases of we had people who bought promotions and we had people who are running shows that didn't want to pay that price. And they're finding out that there is a price to be paid. You have to be the adult in the room or else there are consequences. Mm -hmm. Yes. Can we talk about Superstar Billy Graham a bit? Oh, I know we got to yeah. go soon. But no, we want to talk about Superstar Billy Graham. I'm on board. Got a second wind here. Todd, give um, me a, did, did, tell me your impressions of Superstar or something that when you heard that he died, what's the first thing that popped in your mind or whatever you want to talk about to lead it off? Well, I mean, you know, when he died, it was a surprise because he's had so many health problems, he always kicked out of them. So when it actually yeah. happened, it was like, oh, my God, it actually happened. I mean, he's been at death's door so many times, and, you know, he's become such a controversial figure and in ways that people don't even realize. You know, and not, not that they're too young to know what he did during the 90s steroid run, but also just what he's – you know, if WWE sent him a check, he's on board. If they're not, he's selling his Hall of Fame ring and telling everybody he's selling it to show what it means to him. But the, the run he had – and um, and it's funny to look back on it, and I think we can all agree, and it's been touched upon many times. If that run were happening now, he never would have lost the belt to Backlund. He would have done a babyface turn and had another year with the belt, at least. Yeah. And and I mean, you know his matches weren't great, but the the presence he had and the look, and you know I know it's steroids, but genetics go a long way in making those steroids work, especially with that body. And you know the the dusty matches, just the vibe. If you watch those, that series. The vibe in the crowd is is a vibe that's hard to come by nowadays. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it reminds me of like the Barry Bonds question, right? And the, and the argument goes both ways. Oh, he needs an asterisk. And then there's the people who are like, well, steroids don't help you put bat to ball in the first place. And I think with superstar Billy Graham, he was just <laughs> the first biggest best, and he put bat to ball. Right, like all the steroids in the world doesn't doesn't influence him once he grabs that microphone. And as Jeff so ably pointed out to me, he goes, "Kung Fu 
Billy Graham, who did with loose skin, looking terrible, who did not know kung fu. Looked ten years older than he was. Yes, looked ten years older than he was. Three sellouts, Madison Square Garden against Three Bob Three sellouts Ballard. on the name alone. When on he when he alone. looked his absolute worst. Yeah. And, and he you had know, a his whole deal run with that title. Yeah. Just unbelievable. I, my friend Scott Tong, um, growing up, he did he, he rarely did impressions, but when he did, they were phenomenal. And he had the best superstar Billy Graham of anybody I'd ever heard and would randomly bust it out. And <laughs> just in public, we'd be at the mall, and all of a sudden, he'd talk, you know, about the tarantulas and the blah, blah, blah. And we would be in stitches. Superstar Billy Graham was that kind of outsized wrestling figure that, yeah. like, if you knew about him, you felt cooler for having known him. And the amount of wrestlers' influence, I don't even think that there's a, a, a comparable list. It's like six, six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon. I think all of wrestling like can be traced to gorgeous George. And I think similarly, all of modern wrestling can be traced six degrees away from Billy Graham. That's how big he was. Promos, body and look. Yeah. Charisma. I mean, do y'all remember that picture um, from the aftermaths of him standing on top of a trash can in New York city, (laughs) cutting that side pose with no shirt on. And it's just iconic yeah. to me. I was like, that that brings out that period. There's certain periods in wrestling I'd love to have been there for. Uh, his run in New York is one I would love to have been, like, 20 years old. Mm. Yeah, and, man. And the yeah, clubs man. and stuff, you know, where he was, like, you know, like, it was bringing in people from CBGB's and Andy Warhol Circle. There were, cup, Danny, you know, Danny DeVito and stuff. You know, those kind of – they're coming to see Billy Graham. Um and it was just that presence and that vibe that he had that is – and it, even you go back and watch – you can still – if you know the history, you can go back and watch the matches, and you still feel it. You know, I, I wish his stuff from San Francisco was on video of him and Pat Patterson as a tag team because I'd love to see that. I, will, I only got to see Superstar Billy Graham one time, and it was at one of these insane, like – Polynesian wrestling slash world-class influence slash all Japan kind of mix-up shows that they would have at like Aloha Stadium. Well, here, um, let me, uh, let me I went, cut you I, off before you said it just to give some text uh, some, um, to everybody. Steve lives in Hawaii, and Hawaii was the cross point from Japan from the U.S. So Steve would get the opportunity to see all this talent when they'd come in before they went to Japan or when they went back from Japan. So to me, he yeah. had a very good opportunity to see a lot of guys in their prime crossing over. But I'm sorry to interrupt, Steve, but I just want to give that context of what you got to see and stuff. So yeah, I, I mean, when Superstar Billy Graham, I mean, when I got to hear Jesus Christ Superstar and see him walk down, I just remember, like, this is the guy that I saw in the magazines, and here he is. And it was more magnificent in person than I could have imagined. And he got color. And one of the things about Superstar Billy Graham, when that guy got color, he got color. it was always his complete, the, the literal crimson mask with those eyes shining through them. He was as made for the magazine era yeah. as mm. I would say Roman Reigns is made for the modern television era. I that's think good, Roman Reigns looking so much like Jason Momoa being ethnic enough. Like Roman Reigns is the epitome of what is wrestling now. 
And I think superstar Billy Graham was the epitome of what wrestling meant in the magazines. You had a bunch of blonde guys bleeding on those covers of those mags, but nobody that looked quite like him. And Larry, well, it says Larry because Larry's older than us, and he was in Chicago. Did you see Billy Graham in Chicago in AWA run? Mm-hmm. Or was that, uh, that was been. I don't see. So when I went to wrestling in Chicago, would have been the late '60s uh, and into the early '70s. When I saw a superstar, Graham was when he was the Superstation startup in the late '70s in Atlanta. Wow, he, he he came through once in a while. He, he was one of those guys, as everybody did, because everybody wanted to be on that superstation. It was the first, you know, national TV, and everybody wanted to be on there. And occasionally, he would come through. Yeah. So I saw. Well, he had the match with Harley there. Race too. He had the big match with Harley Race. I was going to say Tampa. that's that's a, you know through the magazines. That's what I remember. It's like, oh my God, they're having like crossover world champion stuff, and yeah. I just like that. That just yeah. completely blew me away. Have you guys you know, seen this that idea footage? That really... Tell us about it. I sent it. it to my students. I sent it to my students because there's a there's a, a a chunk of footage. It's, it was an hour of Broadway, so it's not the whole match, and it rained, so it hurt the walk up. And but I had uh, on YouTube there is a the press conference, which is great because you have Harley who's Harley, and you have Graham who's Graham. So they're both just tremendous because Harley's. No nonsense, and Billy Graham is dressed all flamboyant. It's it's awesome, and they show like a highlight clip of the minute of the match where I think they each win a fall, but then they go the full hour. But and you could imagine how hard it was for Harley because it's an hour with Billy Graham, and it's raining. But they actually did spots where they'd slip on the mat to sell the rain and everything. But mm-hmm. the footage and it's great quality because Florida had some good, uh, uh, some at the time you know. Uh, Real good quality cameras for this show or whatever, but it's it's worth checking out. It's like a twenty minute thing, and I sent it to um, the guys I help out just to show them how to take it seriously, like in the press conference, because you mm, believe yeah. it was real the way everybody reacts. You know, it's like they would in that situation if it was a real situation in signing the contract. So that's one of my other favorite memories of Billy Graham is that is you know that kind of situation with with Harley Race of all people who's he makes fun of his muscles but does it in such a stern way that you can't you know talk shit about back to Harley because he'll kill you <laughs> well see y'all seen Billy Graham oh no no go ahead I'm a, you know we can maybe end it with this little discussion because after I got the phone with you I'm going to watch the rest of um, Dark Side of the Ring which I started last night and went to bed with Chris Candido have you guys mm. watched that? Oh no, I didn't know they did one on him. Is this re- just recently came out? It's the new season. It's the the premiere of the new season. Oh gosh, oh gosh, Chris and Tammy. Yo yeah. man, and uh, um, Chris Candido uh, was a hero of mine because uh, as we talked about the magazines, right before internet, when you saw like a young talent featured in the magazines, you got behind them. Yeah, and waited for them yeah. to show up on like a television show, like it, whether it was uh, Tasmaniac, Candido, Scotty the Body, Benoit, guys like that. And um, and when Candido showed up, so I was like, yes, one of my guys has made it to big time. Smoky Mountain to me was big time because I didn't know any better. You know, I thought it was you know. But um, and I saw followed his rise and his fall and stuff. But I got to um, me, Jimmy, and Sal were working an IWA Mid South show. And um, we get there to the building in Indiana, 
and we go to the locker room around the corner. Here comes Chris Candido. And he oh, wasn't yeah. advertised. He was a surprise. And we're like, hey, how you doing? And he was nice as he can be. Hey, how you doing, guys? And we're like, oh, yeah. And then he walks off, and we go in the locker room, and then all three of us mark out this time. It's like, holy shit, it's Chris Candido. <laughs> and this is his comeback run where he was, yeah. you know, trying to get shit together. Yeah. And then, like, the, and then the next run I had up there, it was two nights. He worked. Uh, he was working with Matt Seidel, and I was up there with um, – couple of my students and I was explaining what Chris was doing psychologically wise and then Chris came up there to watch a match with me and stuff and we started talking and he appreciated the fact that I was he's like you noticed that and stuff so it made me feel good and I was like hell yeah and I told him I was like when I trained with Sean Sean said Candido hates me but the motherfucker can work like hell so I was like oh he's like oh cool he he actually liked my work and I was like yeah um the next night he's in the main event uh, and a six man with Terry Funk I worked uh, Matt Seidel in the opener. So I'm over there sitting there watching some of the matches, and he comes up to me and goes, hey, you already, you already worked, right? And I said, yeah. I need to go buy Blades for the Funker, which is the best quote ever, by the way. And can you give me a ride? And I was like, hell yes, I can give you a ride. I will go help you buy Blades for Terry Funk. And we went to McDonald's, got food, and then went to the Eckerd or whatever and got Blades, and I got to talk to them and talk with them and stuff and ask him, you know, you never get the, you rarely get that opportunity to ask all the questions when you meet guys you idolize growing up, you know? Right. So it was a good opportunity to have that moment and talk about all that stuff. Talk and about stuff. It. And then, and I remember telling Bill because Bill was working with TNA at the time. I was like, "Hey, Candido's clean right now. Y'all should look at it." And Dusty yeah. had seen him on a show too, and thought the same thing. So he ended up going with you know TNA, which unfortunately led to. His death, in a way, because he broke his leg and had blood right. and everything. But it just—it was cool to see him featured on a show where you can remember, you know, how good he was, because he was yeah. really good. So, I, but anyway, I, I saw him at some of those early. Uh, well, we're, we're digressing into Chris Candido, but yeah, I saw him at some of those early Smoky Mountain shows, and yeah. I'd already been marking out for him, just seeing him on the TV. And that was that was actually my first in to getting backstage because he, it turned out, he went to the same high school quite a few years apart. He went to the same high school as my wife. So really? When he, found out that she, when he found out that she was from Red Bank, and, of course, Tammy was from up there, too, they brought us backstage at Smoky Mountain. And so we sort of like we came somewhat friends with them during their during their run there because uh, because of that, that New Jersey connection. And then, that is uh, you tremendous. Mentioned, you mentioned those IW Mid South shows when that same run you're talking about when he was making his comeback up there. Um, I was went up to one of those shows and I interviewed him because of course he knew me from from back at Smoky Mountain. And he talked Holy very moly. frankly about all that stuff. It's on somewhere on the Death Valley Driver board. I don't know if he could still find it. It was the best interview I ever did because he wanted to talk. Really? And he wow. wanted to talk mm. about, about all that stuff. Um, That's so cool. anyway, yeah, it was, it was, it was, yeah, yeah. And I remember, I remember Sal calling me at 3 in the morning, waking me up. Um, and I looked over and saw it was him, and I called. I was like, and the first thing I said, and I, I no exaggeration, I was like, who died? He goes, Chris Candido. I was like, shit, you know, and mm-hmm. hung up and went back to bed because we just this was just right after we got to hang out with him and Ugh. and stuff. So it was very, mm-hmm. you know, and he, he, you know, clean cleaner. I don't know how clean he was, honestly. I mean, I, you know, but he was making this run and getting this comeback on this. 
you know, but yeah, Smoky Mountain. I saw him and Tracy wrestle in Marietta and stuff. And Smoky yeah, Mountain yeah, shows yeah. Stuff, we so. you, we mm. talked about that. We were at that show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I didn't know I did. Well, your wife. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. Well, rest in peace, Chris Candido, and uh, rest in yeah. peace, Peggy Lee Leathers. And I, if I could close um, with a thing about superstar Billy Graham to kind of Please. put it in Please. context for younger guys that might be like. Okay, yeah, like Scott Steiner kind of cribbed him or whatever. Here's the significance of superstar Billy Graham. Here's the significance. So the WWWF and then the WWF, there was no such thing as a heel champion, really. They were just used as transitions, right? Ivan Koloff beats um, Bruno Sammartino after a huge long reign and then quickly loses the title to uh, Pedro Morales, right? So all of the, like, that was the norm. Pedro Morales, Bob Backlund, um, Bruno San Martino were given legitimate long, years-long runs. Um, but the first heel to do it, the only heel to really do it, was Superstar Billy Graham. So without Superstar Billy Graham, what's happening with Roman Reigns, I don't think it happens. I don't think that's a company that ever – that's a company that would have went – no, we're the, we're the babyface-run company. The NWA is the heel-run company with the chase. Mm-hmm. But instead, superstar Billy Graham showed him not only could he be a draw, he could effectively modernize their thinking about pro wrestling. And so this, the legacy of superstar Billy Graham, to me, is Roman Reigns. And what, what bigger thing could you have an influence about than that in the modern game? So what's funny is you said it. Yeah. And you said it, um, he modernized and showed them how he did not show Vince jr. Or Vince senior, but he showed Vince jr. Mm. Vince senior Mm -hmm. already had the plan in place. He's dropping the back one, but Vince jr. Saw it and was like, this is the kind of thing we need to make what he wanted to make. So, you know, he was probably the biggest influence on Vince. Uh, it, as far as starting the Hulkamania area and seeing what he is, you know, and the whole thing is, is like the reason he calls everybody superstars is because of Billy Graham, not wrestlers, Ooh, superstars. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, Todd Sexton, thank you very, very much, man. Always a pleasure. Go to the motherfucking women's tournament. Yeah. <laughs> Can you give us the deets on that before we get out of here? Yes, this Saturday, uh, 4 or 5, Community Court, Boys and Girls Club. Got to do my David Manners impersonation when you do it because that's how it's done. Uh, 8 o'clock this Saturday night, eight women uh, will compete for a chance to be the first ever Southern Fried Women's Champion. Um, and uh, we also got uh, Logan Creed competing in singles action against Zach Mosley. And it'll be Logan Creed and not Cruel because he uh, it's a little bit of throwback to Southern Fried there with that. And then it'll follow it up uh, one week later with Shindig 10. And it's 10 years anniversary with C.T. Keys versus Michael Judas for the heavyweight championship. The King versus the Man. And night before that in uh, Canton, Georgia at Southern Honor, I will be appearing with the new Southern Honor heavyweight champion, Michael Judas. Boo! To uh, discuss why I did what I did, which was a long thought out plan on my part, which I'll make very clear this Friday. Not this Friday. Next Friday. It's going to be a very hard two weeks for me, gentlemen. I'm just telling you right now. (laughs) (laughs) Getting the days confused already. Uh, 
Well, Todd, thanks yeah. as always for coming on. Much appreciated. Thank you, guys. I, I the, the the platform you give everybody is taken for granted, and I appreciate you as you both shall know. Thank you. Well, thanks to Todd Sexton. Thanks to uh, Jim Schuyler, and thank you to all of you for listening. And uh, rest in peace to everybody that we talked about, for whom that is appropriate. And we will see you soon, once again, on The Tipping Point. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.